Tonight we read the opposite of that which we have just sung. We've just sung about our own death. And in that death, we cling to Christ. And even when that cold wave of death rolls over us, we still, as ransomed souls, cling to Christ. Tonight, though, in the Word of God, we look at a man who had a cold, sullen, sullen stream of death wave over him, but there is no ransom soul. We turn in God's Word tonight to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. We read God's Word as it is recorded here. Although I will be skipping various sections of this chapter, if you note, it's a rather long chapter in God's Word. Let's hear then God's Word to us. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and behaved. Badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the ten young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus shall you greet him. Peace be to you. And peace be to your house. And peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered, David's servant, who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his young men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet your master, and he railed at them. That the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm, and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by day, by night, and by day, all the while 
we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore know this and consider what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 figs of cake and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me, behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Then I'd invite you to turn over to verse 36. This is the aftermath. She went, met with David, and now we read of that which takes place. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things. But his heart died within him. And he became as a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. That's by the reading of God's word. Let's bow in prayer once again. Dear Lord, we once again thank you for this opportunity and the privilege this gorgeous Sunday evening to come and worship you. And as we open your word this evening, we just pray that you be with Pastor Bob, guide him in the message that he prepared this past week that you could open our hearts and our minds, and then we just thank you for all the blessings that you have given us and continue to watch over us. This we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Dale Davis, in his commentary on this particular chapter, titles the chapter, God's Preventative Providence. God's Preventative Providence. The more I thought about the title he had given to the chapter and the more I read and studied this chapter and from different viewpoints, the more I came to see the beauty of that title. How often that God's providence is a preventative providence. That God steps in to prevent us from doing that which we should not be doing as God's people. That's what this chapter is about. It's about God's preventative providence for his people. Let's look at this chapter then uh, under the title, A Man Called Nabal, under three headings. First of all, the report that is given. Secondly, the request that is made. And thirdly, the responses that are stated. The report that is given. First of all, we're, we're given some basic factual information about both Nabal and his wife Abigail. We are told that he, his home is in a place called Maon, but he does business in a place called Carmel. We are not sure. In fact, we're, we're not sure whether this means the, the area around Mount Carmel, but it is very unlikely because that is quite a distance from actually where his home is. In fact, he'd be traveling uh, not only out of his own tribal allotment, but through several tribal allotments if it is 
supposed to be Mount Carmel. So there is probably some other location down in uh, the territory and the land grant that was given to Judah that is also known by this. But we're told this so that we understand they are in two separate locations, where his home is and where his business is. We are told that this man is quite prominent and wealthy. The note of the fact that he has 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats is something not to laugh at. That is a significant amount of wealth that this man has. We also learn that this place where Moan is, his home, is in the deep south of Judah. We do know this location. It is in about the farthest southern part of Judah and of Israel you can go. In fact, many uh, believe that this is very close to the area of Kadesh Barnea, where the spies were sent out from. And we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But we are also told uh, this man's name. His name is Nabal, which is an interesting name to choose. You wonder about mom and dad Nabal, why it was they called their son Nabal, because that name means fool. What is it when your child is born and you look at him and say, fool? But that's the name they gave him. Fool. The same word is used later in Scripture to describe someone who is hard. Someone who is spiritually and morally and socially a disaster. Such a person is a nabal, a nabal, a fool. That's, that's him. That's the name that's given to this man. We are also learn if we take a look at verses 17, verse 21, verse 25, and from his own conduct, he is a hard and nasty man. He's not an easy man to live with. He's at heart. Meaning, he has no sympathy. He, he, he has no, in a sense, positive emotions. Everything is basically negative about this man. But he is also a Calebite. And at first, when you read that about him, that he is a Calebite, which occurs at the end of verse 3, you might think, well, no wonder he's harsh and badly behaved. He's a Calebite. As if Calebite is to describe harsh and nasty men. But actually, the word Calebite here means a descendant of Caleb. Caleb, as I referred to a few minutes ago, who is one of the spies sent out from Kadesh Barnea, who is one of the faithful spies, who throughout Scripture is noted as one of great significance, of one of great faith, over and over and over again that occurs. Scripture even allots to these Calebites in 1 Chronicles chapter 9 extensive verses about his genealogy. Noting that this family is quite something. Not, a, not in terms of just its wealth and prominence, but in terms of its faith. From this family will be introduced a man by the name of Othniel, who is going to be one of the judges over Israel. One of the good guys. Nabal is from this family. 
But he is certainly not like his family. He is certainly not the man of faith that his family is. He is not the man of integrity that his ancestors were. He's not the man of righteousness. He is a fool. Hard and nasty. On the contrast, he is married to this woman referred to as Abigail, a woman of good sense, woman of who was, according to verse 3, discerning, meaning wise, smart. She's got it all together. And she is also beautiful as well, on top of it. How it is that she ended up with Nabal, who knows, but there's a lot of people who look at us as men and wonder how we got our wife too. Wondering, how did she end up with him? the first place. Well, these were the days not of love and romance. These were the days of arranged marriages for one reason or other. Maybe her father saw it advantageous to uh, give his daughter in marriage for a business relationship. We don't know all the background of what happened here. But God certainly in his word is showing us the contrast between this wonderful wife Abigail and this horrible man named Nabal. Now, what Scripture does is it presents us then David being interjected into this relationship. We are told several things. One, verse one, Samuel has died. And David is in the wilderness of Paran. He is near where Nabal not only lives, but also has his business operations. David comes with a request of Nabal. Now why? Why does David have to ask Nabal for anything? Because David's on the run from Saul. Which, interestingly enough, one would say, sure sounds like Nabal. Nabal and Saul seem to, seem to have probably would have hit it off very well with one another. They seem to have a similar disposition, a similar way of looking at life. David, on the run from Saul, has taken off. Why? Because Samuel is dead. See, Samuel was the one thing that sort of held Saul in check. Although Saul had lost the kingdom, Samuel had announced it, there was still a certain amount of respect for Samuel as God's prophet. Those of us in Thursday morning Bible study are taking note of that in regards to Ahab. For as evil and wicked as he is, there's always a part of Ahab that is sort of like, mm, he's a prophet. Let's be careful here. Jezebel is like off with his head. But Ahab sort of sits back, and although he doesn't listen or follow, has some sort of respect for this man of God. Saul maintained some respect for Samuel. But now that Samuel is dead, David's concluding, it's gloves off. He is not stopping for anything to get after me. 
I'm not staying anywhere near. I am going as far away from Saul as I can go and still be in Israel. But I'm still staying in my clan. I'm still staying within Judah. So he's been there, and now they're in need of food. I've given you the reason. Now comes the request. What is the amount? What, what does David demand? He doesn't demand anything. He just says to Nabal, look, I know you're having a feast. If you got any leftovers, could you pass them on to me and my men? That's the way to read David's request. He's not saying, look, you know, I've got these 600 guys. I'm going to need 600 loaves of bread, and could you throw in a few sheep along with it? And, you know, could you bring some skins of wine along and maybe some dates and raisins? He's just saying, whatever you got, whatever you can spare, I'll take the leftovers. That's fine. Just, just load them up, bring them to me, please. I, my men are in need. But we also learn that there is a sense in which David has earned this. We learn that where we're at, we're at sheep shearing time. So the sheep have been brought to the sheep shearing station, and they're having a big old party because this is the day we, we actually make our living. We take the wool, and we're, we're going to be rolling in the dough. Okay, I got 3,000 sheep. I'm, I'm going to be great. And so they have a big party at the sheep shearing time. But before they go to the shearer, they've been out in the wilderness. They've been out where David is in the desert, in this wilderness of Paran, in this no man's land. And David and his men have, without being asked, have stood guard. The servant who talks to Abigail informs us of this. They say, well, who is he guarding against? There is a particular group of people, nomads, that live in this area. They are called the Amalekites. And we read of them often during this time of Saul and David. They're always having raiding parties, and they're always coming in and taking over a village. They're, they're not a nation as we think about a nation having an allotment of land and cities. They're just nomads. They go from place to place, robbing and stealing and pillaging wherever they can. Well, these nomads, these Amalekites, are right in this area where Nabal has his sheep. But David's men have formed a guard. And they've protected not only the sheep, They've protected the shepherds. They've protected Nabal's investments. So although David is simply asking, could you send some leftovers, he could have demanded it, but he doesn't. He just says, could you please spare me some? And you'll note, if you talk to your men, Nabal, if you talk to him in, if you bother to take a few moments, your shepherds will tell you, my men didn't steal any of the sheep while we were there. We're hungry, but we didn't kill a one of your sheep. Nobody else got a one of your sheep. All the sheep that you had there are now there at the shearers, and you're rejoicing over the fact that they're all accounted for. 
while in part that's due to us. That's the basic of the story. A mean, nasty guy, beautiful wife, David, on the run from Saul, asking for some help from a Calebite who is wealthy, who has much to spare, who is a relative. You see, Nabal is part of Judah, and so is David. There is actually some scriptural evidence that would suggest that Nabal's ancestors actually started the city of Bethlehem. This relationship may be a whole lot closer than what we are aware of. So it's not only just coming to some wealthy businessman, it's coming to his relative. Could you help me please? Now, I want you to note the responses that we get. We're going to look at four. We're going to look at Nabal's response, at David's response, at Abigail's response, and at the Lord's response. Nabal, pick it up at verse 9 with me. David's young men came. They said all this to Nabal in the name of David. And then they waited. What's he going to say? What's he going to tell us to do? Here is Nabal's response. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where? How would you interpret that answer? We could attach the following words. One, it is ungrateful. He has no thanks in his heart. Saying thank you to David is the farthest thing from his mind. Saying thank you to David by sending a donkey laden with just some bread is the farthest thing from his mind. Nabal is a hard and nasty man. Surly. Doesn't know even how to say thanks. For somebody who made sure his investment was protected. It's also disrespectful. Who is David? Right? Who is David? Well, everybody in Judah knows who David is. David is the anointed king. David is the one that Saul has anointed. And Nabal is basically saying, I could care less. I don't care who anointed him. I don't care what his standing is. I don't care. He is basically saying, I'm siding with Saul. And even though you're my relative, even though you're from my clan, I could care less. Maybe it has to do in part with that opening verse and Samuel was dead, so who's going to testify about this event anymore? Who's left to say it? When we read of the anointing, it is an anointing that only Samuel and David were present at. Who's going to verify now? He's basically saying, I don't believe you. So it's not only ungrateful, it's disrespectful, 
and it's insulting. Who is Jesse? Now he goes after David's family. Then he goes after the men. Then he goes after their reputation. I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what kind of men you are. I don't know basically what kind of scoundrels you guys are. So he is ungrateful, he is disrespectful, and he is insulting. There are eight, in his little speech, eight first-person references. It's all about Nabal. That's what it's all about. That's his response. Secondly, how does David respond? So that news, these men come back to David, tell David, this is what Nabal said. David's response is this. Verse 13, every man strap on his sword. David's response is war. David's response is anger. David's response is revenge. David's response is kill them all. Who does that sound like? Who usually responds this way? Who in the life of David is the person who responds with strap on the sword? Let's go get them. Let's kill them all. David's going to use a line when Abigail comes to visit. He's going to tell her, it's a good thing you showed up, lady, because I made a vow that I was going to kill every one of Nabal's men, children, descendants who are male. But he uses a very graphic way to describe it, a very crude way to describe it. Who does this sound like? This sounds like Saul. This is the way that Saul typically responds to the threat of David. Understand the dire situation we are in. David is about to shed innocent blood. David is about to kill off a man's whole family line. But God has his preventative providence. God now prevents David from fulfilling that which is in his heart, that which is in his mind, that which is in his soul to do. Kill him! And God says, no, no, you're my anointed. That is not the way for you to respond. Well, how does God do that? How does God prevent David from fulfilling his vow? By the way, I'll, I'll, one interesting thing about that vow, he did not take it in the name of the Lord. <laughs> He's a little smarter than what we think in this regard. He didn't say, as the Lord lives. He says, as I live. So he took a vow in his own name, not in the Lord's name. That's going to become his out. 
That's why he's not held to it. Because it wasn't taken in the Lord's name. What happened? Remember the wife? Remember the Abigail? This is God's preventative providence. He takes Abigail and uses her as the means of preventing his anointed king from committing a grave sin. But you see, she doesn't know that. Oh, the servant said, I think he's pretty, David's going to be pretty ticked when he hears about this, and he's going to come after Nabal. In the worldly way of looking at this, wouldn't you, as Abigail, rub your hands and say, you mean I'm going to be rid of my husband? You mean David's going to come and kill this mean, surly, nasty man? Let's sit back and watch this. David, let me draw a big X over his head so you know which one to not miss. Right? Think about this story in the context of our series on marriage. Think about this wife. She is taking action to spare the life of her nasty, surly husband. That is an amazing picture of God's preventative providence. She steps in with the intent of saving her husband. And God's going to use it to save his anointed king from a horrible sin. I want you to note four things that Abigail does in this passage. Okay? Verse 18, we read the first one. And Abigail made haste. She didn't sit around and think about this. She didn't contemplate, maybe I ought to just let Nabal die. Maybe I ought to just let the situation go. No, she made haste. She took action. Now, I don't mean to imply, men, that all of us are a bunch of Nabals. But I think we could all agree that many of us have Abigails. Women who are really good at preventative providence. Who act so quickly, so smoothly to cover us. That we're amazed sometimes at the speed with which they can handle the situation. The phone calls that come into the business, the questions that come at church, the way they might handle a disgruntled customer that's pounding on our door, all sorts of ways. The ways that they can so quickly figure out how to make up for our foolish, perhaps too quick mistake where we just responded to something without thinking it through, and here comes our Abigail. 
with God's preventive providence. She made haste. She was quick. She is also wise. Look what she does. David asked for something. Look what she does. If you're going to seek to appease a man who has been offended, what do you do? Bring him one loaf of bread? Here, take this. Are you happy now? Look at what she does. 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep already prepared. They don't even have to cook the food. They don't have to pre. It's all ready to go. The meal is there before them. Everything they need, everything they could want, clusters, a hundred clusters of raisins, 200 kegs, cakes of figs. Laid them on donkeys. You go before and I'll come. She is wise. And she doesn't tell Nabal. <laughs> wise move. What do you suppose happens if she tells Nabal? Think that donkey's going anywhere? Think they're ever going to make it to David? Nope. What's going to happen? David and his 400 men are going to come and kill Nabal. She's so wise. And then notice, she is personal. Because she herself goes. Verse 19, I come after you. I come after you. She doesn't just send some representatives. She herself comes. And notice what happens. Verse 23. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. What is she doing? She is acknowledging his kingship. She is acknowledging that he is the one who is rightly the king of Israel. She is acknowledging the error of her husband. She is acknowledging the sin of her husband. She is acknowledging the disrespect of her husband. But she herself is acknowledging that David is indeed God's anointed. She fell at his feet. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. She says, kill me. If you're going to kill somebody, take my life. Let the guilt be on me. Do you see the amazing grace that's on display for us in this passage? She's not protecting a good man. She's not protecting some righteous nobleman. She's not protecting some guy who's willing to lay down his life for her. She's willing to take on the guilt of a brute of a man. And if you don't see the picture of our Lord and Savior in this, This is what Christ does, doesn't he? Comes riding on a donkey. May the guilt fall on me. For the brutishness of my people who have rebelled against you, Father. She is personal. 
she comes herself. And she acts as the mediator. The longest speech by a woman in the Old Testament is the speech of Abigail. That being said, I think we need to read it. We'll pick it up at verse 24. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And the evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. She mediates the situation. She places before David the gift that she has brought in order to appease his anger, rightly so, at Nabal. And yet he was about to do something that would cause blood guilt. And she mediates. Well, what happened? David accepts the gift. David said, if you hadn't shown up, <laughs> wow. Can't imagine what would have happened if you hadn't shown up. Nabal, all that he has, would be dead. You're exactly right. I'd be covered with guilt. I will not do what I have said. David accepts the gift, turns around, goes back to his camp, and Abigail goes home. And that's where we picked it up again. But you see, there is another response in this chapter. You had Nabal's response, you had David's response, you have Abigail's response, but you have the Lord as well. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. It wasn't in the hands of David to deal with Nabal. It wasn't in the hands of Abigail to deal with Nabal. It was in the hands of the Lord. She doesn't tell him when he's drunk, so he doesn't know what she's saying. She waits until his mind has cleared. 
She goes to him the next morning and says, this is what's happened. This is what I did. This is how I spared your life. This is how I protected you. This is how I covered you. And now the Lord acts. And Nabal is struck like a stone. Most commentators will tell you he suffers some sort of stroke. He becomes the stone that he actually was. He was hard-headed. He was thick-headed. Now he is like a stone. Unable to move. No, and when ends life's transit dream, no. And after 10 days, a number that is used in Scripture of fulfillment, notice how that section ends. And the Lord struck him, and he died. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Oh, how many lessons are taught to us in this passage regarding God's anointed David, regarding Abigail, regarding Nabal, but also in regards to the Lord. His preventative providence. Tonight, as you lay your head upon your pillow, just thank God that His providence is not only something that is proactive and positive, something that causes good things to come into your life and the blessings you experience. Sometimes God's providence has acted in your life to prevent you from committing a sin. A change of plan. Change of schedule. A car that wouldn't start. God's preventative providence is a blessing for each one of our lives. Why? Because David was one of the Lord's. And he was the Lord's anointed. And so are you. You've been anointed to be prophets, priests, and kings in service to our God. Father, thank you for preventing us from so many sins. We can't even get our mind around it. We thank you, Father, for those that you put into our lives who are your active agents on our behalf. But most of all, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator, who has removed even our blood guilt. This is not of ourselves. This is your grace alone. In Christ's name we pray. God's people again say, Amen.